0: To the Bible now. During our um, gatherings, we always uh, read a portion of Scripture and spend some time um, thinking about that. And we're, we're continuing this theme of prayer because uh, we've been looking through Ephesians, uh, Paul's letter to the Ephesians that he wrote from prison in Rome uh, to the uh, churches around Ephesus. We believe it was a letter that not only was read to that church, but read to a number of churches in that area. And uh, we've got up to chapter 3 and verse 14. So if you want to follow it, it will be on the screen any moment now. Or if you've brought your Bible with you or it's on your phone or your tablet, um, if you'd like to follow it. And if you um, remember last time, um, Paul interrupted himself. So the beginning of chapter 3 says, For this reason... And he was going to launch into a prayer, this prayer that we're about to read. But he got distracted and he went into another kind of, not a tangent, but just wanted to reaffirm certain things that he wanted the believers to know. And we looked at that last week. So it starts again for this reason. And one of the things I love about the Bible is its authenticity. This is one of the little tiny details that, that tells me it's authentic because it's not been edited out. It's like Paul saying, oh yeah, I remember where I was for this reason. He rewrites it. and ever amen let's just pray for each other father as we look at this prayer today we we ask that um, in a way that we would receive it as a prayer over us too this morning that your word would speak truth into our hearts by your holy spirit in jesus name we pray Amen. So Paul turns from teaching, preaching in his letter here to prayer. And and I'm kind of convinced that his teaching and his preaching actually comes out of his prayer and his worship, not the other way around. And we have one of the privileges in Scripture to actually kind of listen to the Apostle Paul at prayer. We have the privilege as we read through the Gospels to listen to Jesus at prayer. It's one of the most intimate things you can do. Imagine if you, when you're praying, you had someone listening to your prayers and writing them down. It would be an intimate thing. It's one of the best ways to discover what our chief concerns are. What our cares are. What our ambitions are. What our anxieties are. What our hopes and fears are. Because it reveals what's deep within our hearts. It's what we pray out. It's what we cry out to God. Because we don't hide anything. How, what's the point of hiding something when we talk to God? He knows everything and, and he loves it when we cry out to him. So here in Ephesians 3, Paul pours out his heart to God Remember that he's praying for a church that is facing persecution most if not all of the New Testament is written to churches that are facing persecution believers that are facing opposition so he's he's writing to those Christians and now he's praying for them remembering that he's in prison too in Rome and awaiting his own execution and it's interesting to me of what he prays for them. Sometimes when I'm praying for the persecuted church, and, and I know we're so committed to that, I know there's, there's many here who are involved with the persecuted church, of how we cry out to God for them. But whenever I've met and encountered persecution and persecuted Christians, what they've asked for is strength. The ability to Endure the ability to overcome, the ability to forgive. So Paul prays for them. He prays, actually, if you read this prayer. I don't know if we could get it actually on the screen, whether um, just to have a look at it, even sort of making the font smaller so we get as much of the prayer on one slide. That would be great, Chris. Don't worry if we can't. But here in chapter 3, Paul prays that they would discover the reality of God's wonderful plan of salvation for them. That as we've seen in chapters 1 and 2, he is engaging them not just at a head level, but a heart level. Because it's one thing to know these things in your head, but it's another thing to know them in your heart, to experience them in your daily lives. So he prays not just for a head knowledge, but a heart knowing. That Christ may live in them and be glorified through them, trusting that in the midst of probably very difficult circumstances, God is bigger than what is just in front of us, than what we can see. And I believe that this is a prayer for us too. I would encourage you uh, to memorize this prayer, it's it's one of the uh, uh, easiest passages of Scripture to memorize. If you've ever encountered someone and you want to pray for them, this would be a beautiful prayer to pray over your brothers and sisters to memorize these truths that Paul relates. For this reason, he says, because of all that I've written so far, because of this great salvation I've talked about. Remember the portrait, one of the the passages earlier, he was painting a portrait just of individual salvation, what it means for you and I to be saved. But then he painted a sort of landscape portrait that this salvation was not just to save individuals, but actually to save the whole of creation. That God's plan in Christ Jesus is so much bigger than just you and I coming to faith in Christ. He is going to recreate the heavens and the earth. It is a cosmic salvation. And then he begins to pray. Because of all of that God has done for you, he says, I get down on my knees. I kneel before the Father. And again, we might not think that's unusual, but the normal posture for prayer for a a Jewish rabbi was to stand. To stand and pray. Now, I know that we can pray in any Posture. We can pray at any time, in any place. You can pray driving the car, as long as you don't shut your eyes. You can pray as you go for long walks. I know lots of people who find that the best time to pray. You can pray sitting down. You can pray standing up. You can pray lying down in bed. It is okay. Even if you're not off. It's okay. But Paul here says, I kneel. I don't know, you know, maybe other traditions. We're not in the tradition of kneeling down. But other traditions are of kneeling down to pray. I remember when I first invited Jesus into my heart. When I acknowledged that Jesus had died for me. I just felt compelled to get on my knees and pray. It, you know, it just felt the right thing to do. And so Paul says, I get down on my knees. And I think there's something important about posture. In times when we're, we're crying out to God. To find a place where, where it's a good place to pray. It's, it's important in posture in worship. I believe that's really important as well. That, that as we come to worship God. And fa- find the awesomeness of that. That we open ourselves to God. In whatever way that we feel comfortable. But I think posture is important. So he says he kneels before the Father. And that tells us we're part of an amazing family. Paul wants us to know, he wants the Ephesians to know, that we are God's children. We are God's children, dearly loved by our Heavenly Father. How important is that when we go through times of difficulty, when we go through the struggles of life, to know that we are loved by our Heavenly Father who is for us. And when Paul talks about the fatherhood of God here he 's not just sometimes we use it as a helpful metaphor. God is like a father. God is like a father actually it 's the other way around God, God is the original, He is the original. we are made in his image. Parenthood is to be a reflection of his parenthood of us, his fatherhood. Of us, and if you are interested in the Greek, Paul plays kind of a word play here Father is pater, the family is patria. There is a word play here. He kneels before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. We are all made by Him, we are all loved by Him, and He has made it possible for us to know Him personally. As our Heavenly Father because of Jesus, His Son. He is the Father of the whole family of God. Jew, Gentile. That's one of the the key things in Ephesians that Paul has been teaching. That that Christ has come to reunite one humanity. From whatever background you may be. One new humanity. All who believe in the Lord Jesus as Saviour. God can no more cease to be our loving Father than change His very character. One of the songs we sing sometimes, He is a good, good Father. It's who He is. He cannot change that. It's who He is. And we are loved by Him. It's who we are. That's our identity. Paul prays at the beginning of this prayer that they might understand that. He kneels before the Father this loving, faithful Father, the one whom we have access 24-7, and then he begins to pray. I pray. And the theme is strength. If you need strength as a Christian today, then this prayer is for you. Soak it in. He prays that they be strengthened by a heart encounter with God, by His Holy Spirit. The word strengthened here means made strong, empowered, fortified through his glorious riches. If you remember in Acts, if you've read the story of how how, uh, when Paul went to Ephesus, when he began that church in Ephesus, he met with a group of believers who had never heard of the Holy Spirit. They'd heard of John's baptism, but they'd not heard of the Holy Spirit. And the first thing he does is he baptizes them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And they are filled with the Holy Spirit. Paul knows how how important that is for every individual to go on being filled with the Holy Spirit. We should be asking every day to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We should be taking every opportunity. If someone says, can I pray for you? You say, yeah, would you pray that I'd be filled with the Holy Spirit? Because we can go on being filled with the Holy Spirit. Paul will come back to this in chapter 5 about being hungry for more of God. Go on being filled with the Holy Spirit. And notice, so that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith. To be filled with the Holy Spirit is to be filled with Christ. Christ. Now, I know that Jesus can't bodily fit in us. When we say Jesus lives in me, he's not bodily fitting into us. He is risen from the dead. He is ascended. He is enthroned in heaven. He is coming again. But by his spirit, he lives within us. And notice that Paul says that he may dwell in our hearts through faith. He uses a word here that means take up residence. Residence. It's different from saying, having a lodger. Someone who just comes to stay for a little while. He actually says, no, I pray that Christ may dwell in your heart, take up residence in your heart, that you may know him, that his presence may strengthen you and change you from the inside out. We need to keep on being filled with the Holy Spirit, because we all leak. as Someone famous once said, And we need that fresh encounter with God, especially when we go through difficult times, because we go dry. We need that fresh encounter, and he prays that they will be filled with the Holy Spirit. This is something we can pray for one another. And then he goes on, Paul says that he wants them to be strengthened by a proper understanding of Christ's love for them. And he uses two kind of metaphors. I pray, he says, that you being rooted and established in love. Rooted and established in love. One's a botanical word and one's a kind of um, architectural word. Uh, You know, if you know me, I have no clue about botanical things at all. But I understand what he means when he just says rooted. I imagine this massive oak tree that has its roots going so deep and are so strong that whatever the wind comes, whatever comes against it, it may shake it, but it will not bring it down. That you being rooted in Christ's love will not be broken down, will not be overwhelmed, will not be broken and established. That's an architectural term. You can imagine perhaps a a really well-built house with firm foundations, deep foundations. Do you know the manse has not got any foundations? (laughs) If you take up the floorboards, it's just earth under there. Thankfully, the walls are that thick, and it stood for hundreds of years. But we know the importance of having strong foundations. And Paul makes that, that, that double metaphor, the roots growing deep into the ground, the foundations being strong, you being rooted and established, rooted and grounded. Again, so that when the storms come, that building will not fall. This is what he prays for the persecuted Christians around Ephesus. This is what he prays for us. This is what we can pray for one Another rooted and established—that unseen strength that is below ground. Notice both of those metaphors mean something underneath. You know, when we when we look okay on the the top bit, it's supposed to be the other way around. Be okay underneath. The top bit make you know we may struggle with things that come and go in our lives, but deep down, if we're rooted, if we're established, we will stand firm, no matter what comes that you being rooted and established, underpinning, and that's the faith in the love of the Lord Jesus, that deep, deep assurance that we're loved by Jesus. And how do we know that assurance? It's because of the cross. That assurance doesn't come with our feelings. Do I feel loved by Jesus today? Because that's about my feelings but when we look to the cross, we know that we're loved because that's where Jesus showed his love completely for us. He gave his life, he suffered for us. And nothing, no one can ever take that away. You may be rooted and grounded in love love for God, love for one another. It's the hallmarks of the Christian faith. And then he prays that you may know this love. But then he says, but this love surpasses knowledge. But he wants you to know this love, but you can't know it all. You'll never get to the bottom of it. You'll never get over it. You'll ne- get, never get around it. There's a child's song about that, isn't it? And he goes on to explain that. But he wants us to know this love in our hearts. Not in our heads, but in our hearts. What a gift. So Paul prays that we may have power... To begin to understand the love of Christ, its breadth, it's so broad, It's, it's big enough to encompass the whole world. Its length, it's long enough to last for eternity. Its depth, it's deep enough to reach the most wretched of sinners. Its height, It's high enough to lift us to the glory of heaven. And and you can read whole books of people explaining the height and depth and width and breadth. I mean, it's just big. You'll never get to the end of it. It never runs out. It never gives up. It is unconditional. This is the love that God has for you. And you may drift away from Him. You may walk away from Him. But His love never abandons you. And He is always waiting just like That prodigal son story when Jesus says the father waits and he looks and he is so pleased when the son comes home. The son who was dead is now alive. The love of Jesus never runs out. You can never get over it. I pray that we'll never get over the fact that Jesus loves us. That we never get accustomed to yeah, I'm loved by Jesus. Because if you get accustomed to it, you don't know the depth of it. And the cost of it. I pray we'll never get over it. And I get the impression here that Paul says no Christian will know it all. But if we pulled just in this congregation, if we pulled all our testimonies of God's love in Christ in our lives, if we pulled it with all the believers who are meeting in Chipping Camden, all the believers who are meeting right across the Cotswolds, all the believers who are meeting up and down the UK, all the believers who are, who are meeting across this world, if we pulled all our testimonies of the love of God in Christ Jesus, we would not even get a glimpse of how amazing it is. That together with all God's people, we may know its height, breadth, length, depth. We'll never know it all because it surpasses knowledge. It's so wonderful, so amazing. For every person, Jew, Gentile, black, white, male, female, young, old. Christ's love is for all. He wants all to be saved. He wants all to come into his family. And doubtless, we'll spend eternity exploring and enjoying the riches of his love. Because the promise is this, one day we will be like him. And each of us know right now we're not as much like him as we'd like to be. But one day we will be like him and we will see him as he is. It's the promise of scripture. The one who is the fullness of God. Which helps us understand this other phrase that Paul uses, that we may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. That we can know more and experience more and go on knowing more of God. But one day we will experience the fullness in Christ Jesus. Because we will be like Him. And yes, in, in this life we want to be more like Him. And that's one of the works of the Holy Spirit. And finally, Paul prays that the church will be strengthened through a proper confidence in God. You know the times when you think, God, where are you? Why haven't you intervened? Why? And we all have those questions, all of us. But we trust God is at work. If he says he is who he says he is, we can trust him with everything. And Paul says if we have that confidence in God who is able to do immeasurably more, abundantly more, it's one of Paul's super superlatives. He can do so much more, immeasurably more, abundantly more. He doesn't give his grace by calculated measure and say, well, oh yeah, well you deserve this much. And you deserve maybe this much. He gives it without calculation, super abundantly, immeasurably, lavishly by his power. And what power is that? For Paul, it's the greatest display of power the world has ever seen is when Jesus was raised from the dead. That is the greatest display of power the world has ever seen. Think of all the powerful men who have ever lived, powerful women who have ever lived. There is nothing like the power of Jesus risen from the dead, broken the power of death. And that's the power that is at work within us. And he ends with worship in this prayer. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus now and forever. To know that God has a glorious plan for his church, his new humanity. Yes, made up of individuals like you and I, a part of that new humanity. If we've trusted in Christ, if we, we've owned him as Lord and Savior, as we've surrendered to him, but it's much bigger than that. His family, his community, worldwide, we're part of it. And the church's task is to make him known the riches of his love to proclaim Christ Jesus today. And when Paul talks about the church, he's not talking about a bureaucratic edifice, he's not talking about a man made thing, but a Christ made thing. His people who live for him and there is a glorious future for the church of jesus christ the new humanity of god the new creation maybe we don't always see it because we live in in the uk or in northern europe where it's maybe normal to to see the church in decline i'm often meeting people and saying well the church is declining isn't it people aren't believing in god anymore I'm not so sure that that's true. Or when people say, well, actually, by the year, you know, I don't know, at this rate of decline, there'll be no church left within a generation. And I say, no, that's not true. God is building his church. Jesus has promised it. That's why we pray for revival. That's why we long for it. As a church, that's why we, we put it as part of our vision as a church. We want to see revival in the UK break out again. We don't know if we'll see it in our lifetime, but we're going to pray for it. Like the ladies who prayed for this church when it was down to three people meeting in a back hall. They just prayed that God would revive this church. And what has he done? He's revived this church. We've planted other churches. Now, what are we laying down for who comes after us? But then we think wider of other parts of the world where the church is being squeezed and crushed in persecution. God is still building his church. As I said last week, I have have a belief and a prayer in my heart that we will see in our lifetime North Korea free and a church established that is stronger and vibrant in that nation. Because he's done it before. Just on the border in China, there's the biggest church the world has ever seen. The biggest revival that the world has ever seen. Probably in, in some of our lifetimes. We don't know how many, maybe a hundred million Christians in China. More than the population of the whole of the British Isles. God can do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. Jesus said he will build his church and the gates of hell would not be able to stand against it. Life may not be easy and, and I've heard this testimony when people have become Christians, followers of Jesus. I thought life would be easy once I became a Christian and actually it's got tougher. Well, that's what Jesus said. It is not easy to put Christ first. It is not easy To live for him with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. But it is the best. And it is worth it. Notice here in Paul's writing, he mentions Father, Son and Holy Spirit. Trinity laced throughout. We believe in God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And he is for us. So as we worship, I'm going to invite... Um, Henry and Ollie, who are leading us this morning in our worship to come back. We're going to praise the Lord together in song and worship. And um, as we stand, I want to pray this prayer over us. And during the time of worship, if you'd like someone to come pray with you, um, our prayer team is available, either be in the sort of coffee area there or here in the front row, if you'd like someone just to come sit with you and pray with you, or or maybe pray that you'd be filled with the Holy Spirit afresh, um, then do come out to the front during our time of worship. But can I invite you to stand if you'd like to as I pray this prayer of Paul over each one of us. Let's pray together. And for this reason... We kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. And we pray that out of your glorious riches, Lord, you may strengthen us with power through your Spirit in our inner being so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. And we pray for one another that we would be rooted and established in Christ's love. And that we may have the power together with all the Lord's people to begin to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is this love of Christ. That we may know this love that surpasses knowledge. That we may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And to Him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. According to His power that is at work within us. To Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus. Throughout all generations. Forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Henry.